Welcome to the Swamp Flex Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. I'm Brittany Lombas. I'm James Cohn. And I'm Hannah Rasnan. And this is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swamp Flex. Father's Day edition. <laughs> <laughs> we probably have dads that listen to this show, right? Just statistically, somebody's got to be a dad out there. This yeah. This one goes to all the dads. <laughs> Even if they there. don't know their dads. Oh, they geez. Could, they could be dads. <laughs> they probably are. Potential dads, right. Look into it. You should know yeah. if you're a dad. <laughs> are you a dad? And please um, fulfill your fatherly duties yeah. if you are not. <laughs> Go find out. Follow up and circle back <laughs> circle back to those kids <laughs> i do wonder if we alienate parents sometimes because uh we're pretty harsh to children as like cinematic subjects on this show a lot but, but i feel like <laughs> parents have that side of their brain where they're like my kid's kind of a pain in the ass yeah you know and we kind of help them kind of vent about that part if you've stuck with us through us celebrating child deaths on screen or just saying we generally find children annoying in movies right. uh You'll probably enjoy this conversation yeah. as a Father's Day episode. <laughs> and if this is your first time listening, you have a little clue into what this podcast is about. It's a vibe check. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, before we get into the dad movies and the main subject of the episode, what has everyone been watching since the last time we talked? I saw a movie. I saw this movie with James, and it is the new Cronenberg film, Crimes of the Future, um, starring Viggo Mortensen and Lea Seydoux and Kristen Stewart. And it is a post, it's not really post-apocalyptic, but it's a dystopian future where disease and infection has been eradicated. Pain is kind of no longer a thing. Everything is dirty. And the hottest performance art is like surgery or like physical disfigurement. And it follows Viggo Mortensen, who is like growing new organs and the process of tattooing these organs and removing the organs is this like performance piece um, that he does with his lover and artistic partner. And uh, the movie also involves a child who may or may not be able to digest plastic and various other things. Um, so this <laughs> movie was uh, insane. I think it was not super well edited. Uh, it was kind of all over the place. There were many strands throughout the movie that were not resolved. Um, however, I loved it. I thought it was like a super spooky, strange world. Viggo Mortensen is disgusting. He's like, he spends three quarters of the movie sitting in these like weird bio chairs like gurgling and trying to like eat this disgusting goo food it's like a baby's high chair it's like yeah i'm process like just mush right but it, but like <laughs> like most of cronenberg's movies it has this like fleshy organic look and it, it's like making strange noises and his arms are like like he he can't like swallow anything so he's just like he needs to be burped like a baby yeah exactly <laughs> well, i bet you a bunch of um, weird stuff comes out yeah so I, I thought it was very strange and I loved it. That I sounds loved really movie. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait to see that one. It was, it was a beautiful mess. Yeah. I recently rewatched or watched uh, Cosmopolis the first time. Um, and I sort of felt the same way about this movie as I did Cosmopolis where it's like, man, that was really thought provoking. And I don't know if I actually enjoyed watching it, but like, like Hannah was saying, there's all these different interesting 
strands and ideas in there, but the actual experience of watching it, not necessarily enjoyable for me, but it, it was a very intriguing. Also, Kristen Stewart works. Oh, she's great. Yeah, she works at like the organ registry with this other um, surgeon and she's like this super fidgety weirdo and I love <laughs> I just loved her she was not on the screen enough but she's, she's got like an excited like fangirl yeah. thing where she can't she can barely contain how excited right. she is about the art yeah she's like I just think it's so beautiful <laughs> it's really fun to watch I've never seen her emote quite like this um, so yeah Brandon did you so I I I'm just got out of this it. movie like less than an hour ago what yeah. really <laughs> so, uh, oh my so God. fresh for me um, I am kind of in line with James where like, I really loved it as a collection of like ideas and yeah. images. I like it way better than Cosmopolis though. I thought that one was pretty empty. Oh yeah. yeah. No, I, I like this more than Cosmo, but a similar, like a lot of ideas, yeah. interesting yeah. ideas, not necessarily a cohesive film. And that's what he's been kind of doing lately is like very philosophical, cold, just like conversations mm-hmm. that we're just like kind of throws new ideas out. But I guess this one kind of promised to return to form to his early stuff where yeah. like there's all that imagery with like the bone chair that like rattles right. go around and like a lot of insertion of like these little fleshy tubes into people's bodies. A lot of like male penetration. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite image in the whole movie is uh, during one of the surgery performances. They have they have these little controllers like an Existens that control the, um, yeah. the machines. Mm-hmm. And usually they're separate from the body. They're just like basically a video game controller just like on the little desk and people push buttons. But there's one where um, his mistress surgeon collaborator character, um, Leia Sedu has the thing mounted to her bodice. So yeah. She's got this like dominatrix setup where she's basically touching herself to penetrate him. Yeah. I was like, this is fantastic. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah. Great images and ideas and stuff. It's just like, I guess with like Existens and Videodrome and Crash, I felt this like narrative propulsion where I felt like I was going deeper and deeper into a dream or I guess naked lunch is another good one where this one, I didn't really feel momentum. It was just like, yeah, it's basically like a round table discussion of like, so after video drone happens in the future, what's that going to be like? And how do we adjust <laughs> to the new flesh? Yeah. And I really liked it as that. I just wish it was less like police procedural. Like what's the mystery behind a lot of subplots too that don't yeah, necessarily. The, yeah come together i was so confused when it ended like i was shocked that it was over when it ended i felt like like there is a major plot point that is resolved but it's like there are so many things that just don't make any sense and not just in a way that's like you know it's mysterious and intriguing it's like it's supposed to you're supposed to kind of understand who the groups are and what's I was kind of on board with everything except maybe the technicians. I didn't know who they yes, were like working exactly. for. Yeah. But other than that, I, I mean, and they might just be total freaks like doing their own thing. <laughs> They're very mischievous characters. Yeah. Can, like tiptoe around and like get right. naked and like play with the equipment. Ride They're, around. Like, yeah. Just true freaks. Uh, yeah. So that might have just been agents of chaos. I don't know. Yeah. But then you have this whole like political angle too with, you know, I don't know there was a lot of layers to it that didn't necessarily yeah. connect with one another. It's like it's like 100% world building is kind of what he was doing. Yeah. You could set like 10 different novels in this universe and have like, you'd never run out of ideas. Right. It kind of felt like a really good pilot. Like I want to see yeah. like another six episodes to mm-hmm. fully get the, the dynamics yeah. of this world. But. Yeah. So I th- basically I thought it was very obviously 
flawed. And I agree that you don't dive deeper into the world. And I was kind of waiting for that. But I still like really enjoyed it was just so dirty and strange. And I, I don't know, I just really enjoyed being in the world at the at the depth that was maintained. Um, so, uh, Brandon, what have you been watching? Well, I did watch a movie with you at uh, Overlook. Oh, yes. We, wa- yes, we saw you the did. new Strickland. Yeah. Flux Gourmet, which I guess I'm going to bring up now just because it actually reminded me a lot of the new Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. Like, Flux Gourmet is also about these performance artists in this like alternate mm-hmm. version of reality. And the art is not quite achievable <laughs> in the world <laughs> that we live in now. Uh, it's basically this like artist colony where these um, noise musicians create new noise music out of food preparation Mm -hmm. so they like run blenders and like chop meat and things like that through these like filters and electric pickups Mm -hmm. and uh, there's a very important of the plot flanger (laughs) (laughs) uh, becomes a major like joke yeah among the main people i think they call it sonic catering sonic catering yeah yeah. Um, and it's treated as like academic art more so than it is like rock music but the like sort of humor of the film is very just like, it's not that different from spinal tap. It's like mm-hmm. this megalomaniac front person in the band who like wants to dictate everything that happens. And then you have all these like petty squabbles among all the like people around the circle. Yeah. I think when I reviewed it, I described it as like the VH one behind the music for Suspiria. <laughs> like, cause it's something very yeah, witchy about the house too. Yeah, that's right. That's um, right. I thought it was very fun and goofy. And another reason it reminds me of Cronenberg is like, it felt like Strickland was reaching back and redoing Barbarian Sound Studio, which was also about like mute, like sound production and like matching up sounds and images and these like sort of ways that create this like sort of dark magic. Um, except Barbarian Sound Studio feels a little stilted and not as like free flowing and absurd as In Fabric and Duke of Burgundy is. This felt like him bringing Barbarian Sound Studio up to speed with like the stuff he's achieved since then. I don't think it's as good as mm-hmm. Duke of Burgundy or In Fabric, but I thought it was very fun still. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I have I have only seen those three films from Strickland, and this is definitely my least favorite. And I think I have the same reaction with Cronenberg, where even if it's not my favorite movie, I still really enjoy his mind and the worlds that he creates. And I think... Peter Strickland's worlds are like obviously much funnier and he I think he has a great sense of humor so like there is so much farting in this movie oh yeah um the relationship between the like ma'am of the residency program who's like very polite but very controlling and then the kind of leader of this sonic catering troupe who's like a total eruptive woman who's like also very controlling but in a much more explosive way and they're like like there's this phalanger that i don't know what a phalanger does <laughs> neither does the front woman yeah, but she, she gets doesn't. very petty about yeah. not uh removing yeah, it from the, her work the head of the residency program is like trying to make suggestions for the show and the leader is refusing to do it and then she's like just take the phalanger down a notch and maybe remove it from this section and she's like no we must keep it in and it's like an (laughs) ongoing power struggle throughout anyway um aesthetically wonderful i thought it was also very funny uh yeah i i enjoyed it it had real pervert stuff in it the way that his movies does 
I told my boss that I was going to go see this movie. And then the next day she was like, oh, yeah, so how was the movie? And I was, there was no way for me to explain it to her. And <laughs> and then I would, like, remember other th- like every time they have a performance, they have this like orgy with the onlookers. The audience yeah. like, congratulates right. them backstage by having anonymous orgy sex right. with them. Yeah, and that's <laughs> after just, every performance. That's just kind of like a passing detail. I mean, they show it over and over and over again, but it's just like, oh yeah, that happens too. I forgot. That doesn't feel that different from Cro- the Cronenberg movie to me either. Like yeah. Kristen Stewart coming up to Viggo Mortensen. I mean, like. Surgery is the new sex, right? Right. You, you felt wa- the sex in the room, didn't right. you? I want you to do surgery on me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, very uh, very open. Uh, yeah, so I thought it was very fun. They're kind of <laughs> like weird sister films. I think uh, mm-hmm. maybe the argument for the Strickland is that you don't have to watch as many movies to get it. Like, yeah. You could watch right. two or three Peter Strickland movies. I feel like for the Cronenberg movie, you kind of have to watch like all of his stuff up until now to like kind of get what he's playing with there yeah um or at least his greatest hits a lot more homework on that front right but yeah and one of them again is much funnier i laughed a lot during the cronenberg movie i thought it was very funny. oh really yeah okay <laughs> I, I laughed at vigo mortensen yeah his little yeah. gurgles yeah <laughs> so disgusting. there are some pretty funny lines and they're both making fun of like high falluting like high concept art worlds stuff like it feels like very similar satirical edge but yeah the strickland one is a lot broader and has like much more obvious like in right, your face gags. jokes. Yeah, I laughed louder during that movie. Yeah, I, I had like a, a an amused chuckle <laughs> during the Cronenberg <laughs> one. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's what I've been watching. Basically, Overlook. Like I I watched mm-hmm. nine movies in four days, and the last week on the website has just been like one review a day as I like process all that stuff. So it's been what's on the top of my mind. Did you watch that um that Ethan Hawke? horror movie by the phone i did not because that's gonna play in like yeah theaters everywhere a lot of people are like i went to overlook and i saw this but isn't it coming out like the 24th or something yeah go see like a movie that's not gonna play that's the buzz i don't even remember in fabric playing anywhere but overlook the last time that happened yeah if you were gonna see on the big screen it was there so i don't know i guess i'm being a little hypocritical because i did see mad god even though it's coming to shutter this week but I mean, I got to see it big but and loud. In the theater, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> that, so, that looks like it'd be awesome to see in theater. Yeah. What have you been watching, Brittany? Well, I I too have been into some very um, artistic horror films. Oh. Nice. Um, I finally got around to watching Brahms, The Boy Two. <laughs> <laughs> so all of the boy movies have made their way to Netflix, and I really loved the first The Boy. I saw it in theaters, and I thought it was a blast. Me too. And Brahms 2, I wouldn't describe it as like bad. I would describe it as disappointing <laughs> because I think like the whole concept of the boy is so fun. And it was just like a very lazy sequel. But yes, I watched it. I had fun. And if the boy three, four, five, and six comes out, <laughs> I'm going to watch all of them. So Katie Holmes is in this one, which is so weird to me. Like, she still looks like a teen, like, not like a teenager, but she looks like she could be, like, in her 20s forever. Um, Must be the Scientology, like, dose that she had. (laughs) Her family had a, like, home invasion that traumatized them. So they move out to the UK and live in, like, a manor on the property of the mansion where the boy, the first the boy took place. And while her son, who was like temporarily mute from the home invasion trauma, 
is playing outside, he finds Brahms in the woods, which is an antique porcelain doll. He um, <laughs> digs him up. He's a very polite little boy as long as you follow the rules. Just gotta follow <laughs> Brahms' rules. There's a lot of like little like wackadoodle things that happen where it's like, is it Brahms? Is it Brahms? Like, yeah, we know it's Brahms, but it just didn't like it stayed beneath the surface the whole time where it's like explode, explode. And when it does explode at the end, there is a cool like special effects scene where uh, Brahms' little porcelain Victorian doll face gets blasted off and underneath is this like burnt up mutant. With what? a big old circular mouth that like sucks in and out, sort of like a like a sci-fi. Um, it kind of looks a little bit like our boy from *Malignant*. I was thinking *Malignant*. Um, the opening at the like haunted oh God. hospital. What's his name again? Gabriel. Gabriel. <laughs> Very Gabriel. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of cool. And of course, it ends where you know Brahms isn't totally gone, which was kind of nice. So hopefully, they kick it up a notch for the boy three. <laughs> um cuz I want more Brahms, more Brahms. Did they skip the rules in this one where Brahms like yeah, demands it, to be tucked in at night and gets kissed on the forehead? If they did, I don't remember it. Oh, That's okay. how um disappointing the mm. whole film was. Did you watch it? No. I Oh crap. Did I, y'all watch this? No. I mean, I felt uh, like the first I apologize. One was so I told you about yeah, Brahms I didn't want to go back face. into that Wait. world. But I thought Brahms was actually just a guy. A man in the walls. Right. Right. Wait, is this adding to the Brahms universe? The the guy in the wall was like possessed by Brahms. What? What? I don't know about this. I I don't buy it. Research was done. Katie Holmes did research. And they had a bunch of like similar deaths throughout history that all involved Brahms. So Brahms is uh, kind of controlling people. So he does move in this one. Like his his head turns, his eyes move, which is cool. Yeah. But, um, Something the Annabelle movies never did. Exactly. I've watched four of those <laughs> movies waiting for that them. damn doll to move and it never does. <laughs> well, Brahms moves in this one, but there is no man in the walls, uh, which I thought was the best part of the boy. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of like the, I don't know. I thought that was a very satisfying ending. That should have been in the Oscar big cheer moment. Um countdown <laughs> the end of the boy <laughs> oh god so even though like he's been blown to pieces and everything like that like what they add in the boy too is a porcelain doll mask that the child wears oh cool and the child looks like timothy chalamet a little bit so it's very funny and it like focuses on his like little face and they'll put um he'll put his like porcelain brahms mask on that matches Brahms's face. So even though Brahms is destroyed at the end of the movie, spoiler, no spoiler, I don't think anyone really cares. It's the boy too. Um, he puts the porcelain mask on and he like talks in, to Brahms in the mirror and then it ends. So it's like, oh, so he's still there. Um, so I don't know. I don't. Maybe the mask is the new Brahms, the porcelain mask, since Brahms's you know little doll body has been burned to sh- you know burned up. Mm. So I, I don't know what to think the secrets of Brahms <laughs> are we excited about the orphan prequel that's coming out this year I am okay <laughs> I love that movie I'm a little more willing to give that one a shot I love I love orphan yeah I mean I think I mean it's on Netflix you don't have to pay for it if you have like you know an hour or so to spare watch it I think it was cool it was just you know not as awesome as it could have been <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah that's that's the highlight of my um film life so yeah what about you James I've been watching a lot of films on Shudder recently. Uh, I got rewatched Society the other night, and I just like 
stumbled upon this movie called The Shout from 1978. And I, I clicked on it because it said it starred Tim Curry. And so it's like a young Tim Curry. I mean, it's like before, I guess this would be before, well, no, right around Rocky Horror. That was 75. Okay. And this was 78. Yeah, so, okay. At the same time. Anyway, he does not play an important part in the film oh. at all. He's in the first like 10 minutes and the last 10 minutes. Okay. But the, the story is about this British couple who live in like the countryside and the husband is an experimental sound artist. So he like does stuff with like common objects, like lighting cigarettes or saws. And he like synthesizes that and makes music. Flux Gourmet. Exactly. Right. And that's, I was actually going to br- talk about a different movie, but once I saw kind of where the conversation was going, I was like, okay, I got to bring up the shout. And so anyway, they meet this very charismatic man one day outside a church and they're just sort of drawn to him. And he's like, you know, I haven't slept in days. I don't have anywhere to sleep. So they invite him to their house. You know, they have a meal and everything's kind of nice at first. Like they're being very pleasant and accommodating, but it's very clear. Like this guy has some like dark energy and basically at dinner, he tells him like, I am into black magic. I am like, I lived in Australia for 15 years with an Aboriginal tribe and they taught me magic. And I have this thing called the, it's like a death shout where if I scream, anyone around me dies. And so of course the husband being the like rational man is like, no, come on, there's no way. And he's like, all right, like tomorrow we go out and I'll show you. And he still doesn't believe in the next day they go out in the desert. So they're like away from everyone. And he does his death shout. And sure enough, this like sheep herder and all his sheep die instantly. And they're within like a mile. So this death shout goes a long ways. And so the husband freaks out. And when he gets back to the house, essentially this man starts to work his black magic on his wife. It's like your wife, She's mine now. Like, you can leave. I'm going to have sex. She's my, like... Such a black magic move. Sex slave. And so I love these movies where it's, like, these, like, people that are a guest in your house just slowly push the boundaries of, you know, what you'll allow them to do. Like mother. Yeah, like mother. (laughs) Very mother. But this, like, goes in a totally crazy direction where he's just like, yeah, I have a... My power is real and your wife is mine. But the husband... I don't want to give away too much, but he kind of discovers his own magic through his music. Oh, cool. And there's sort of a battle of magic that had really cool shit. And it's like very dread filled and like, but also has like some interesting ideas and it's pretty artsy fartsy in the way it's like presented. And I just like dug the hell out of it. It just hit all my like pleasure centers it was really cool. Like it, it's on Shutter, so if you that have Shutter, really you should cool. check it out. It sounds not that dissimilar from another movie we watched on Shutter together this week, White of the Eye, for an upcoming oh, yeah. movie of the month. Well, I yeah. actually watched it while Hannah was over watching <laughs> White of the Eye. Having parallel spooky experiences. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it was. Awesome. Please check it out. And let me I've know never heard think. of that. When I listen to like genre movie podcasts all day, I've never it heard really, of that either. I, it's British though, right? Yeah, I think, yeah. I just um, added it to my watch. No, list and like I saw as that. it was going on, I was like, "Man, this is kind of like 
Like, I've never heard of this. This is like a hidden gem. There's a lot of like British films that like fall into that. There's like, I mean, tons and tons that like I constantly come across when I'm like on Tubi or on YouTube yeah. and stuff like that, where it's just this whole other world that hasn't been explored. So yeah, that 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 reminds me of, you know, one of the ones I might have stumbled across. Yeah, and it's a cool mixture of like folk horror, like home invasion cool. stuff. And then like the sound uh mm-hmm. black magic war is like it's just cool shit. Like nice. I really it, and again, like Tim Curry is in it very briefly, <laughs> but uh don't know the actor's name, but the guy that plays the like black magi- magician is like charismatic as hell and he's just like working his magic over this couple it's very cool this was probably close to like i think when tim curry's had his musical career i think that was like late 70s like paradise garage and all that i only know toxic love from the hit film fern gully (laughs) (laughs) well this was the beginning of that that beautiful man's voice Well, I hope y'all all got your weird horror films out of your system because that's not what we're talking about. Not today. at all. What we're talking. We're doing about right today. over the plate mainstream. <laughs> right over dad the plate. Shit. That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> Pun intended. Yeah, we're talking about our dad's favorite movies today. Dad stuff. Dad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and we all have very different dads, I think, or at least a few of us do. Uh, one of our dads <laughs> is the most outlier. I don't yeah. Know. yeah. Well, this is a very cool mixture of films and i think yeah. it does represent yeah and we'll get into it all the, with the main discussion there. but like what is a dad film and i think these kind of depends on your dad depends but, on yeah. your dad yeah. well, <laughs> well hannah did some fabulous research and i think <laughs> you found like um yeah. a review of each one of these movies that mentioned like yeah. a, it being a dad movie yeah it had dad <laughs> stuff yeah i found i was looking at uh i think it was dumb and dumber and i or no no, no it was uh tommy boy and i it was one of the first reviews. It was like, this is such a dad movie. And then I was like, I bet there's something for each of these. <laughs> and yeah, they're all it. they're all dad movies. It's all on Letterboxd, right? Yeah, it's yeah. all on Letterboxd. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, that was how I spent an afternoon. And it was, you know, it was a, a, a time well spent. It was vital Never. research. Yeah. Yes. It's very reassuring. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. yeah. We're like, in the right. We the right stuff. Yeah, that's right. And all that's coming up to you. Right, right now. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has ruled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us all that once was good and it could be again do you think it would be useful if we described our dad a little bit before just mm. like saying what their favorite movie is oh i think so i think so okay sure Because it would give more backgrounds to why these are their movies right who is your dad and what is his favorite movie james <laughs> <laughs> uh my dad is a very intelligent opinionated goofy man yeah and his favorite movie is and I did confirm this because I called him is Field of Dreams. And he actually said, like, oh, I don't have a favorite movie. But if I were to pick one, this would be in the running. So I think it's fair to say Field of Dreams is one of my dad's favorite movies. And actually, did you know, because we're going to talk about dad movies and talking to him, he actually I've been trying to define like what makes a movie a dad movie. It, besides the fact that like our dads like them. And he actually, my dad had a very good point. And he said, I like something 
where if it's on TV, no matter at what point in the movie, I like sit down and watch it. Oh yeah. And I feel like a light bulb went off. Like he's right. Like that I think is what three of these movies have in common. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, You're not going to clear an entire half a day for one of these. Yeah, there is one outlier, (laughs) one outlier that we'll get to. One of these movies has an intermission. (laughs) Right. right, right. (laughs) I I will say there's a pet peeve of mine growing up, though, is that like the movie I picked and another one that Brittany picked, like they would come on TV and my dad would sit down and watch it with the commercials on like TBS or something. I'm like, you own this on DVD. Like walk the 10 steps, put it in the player. It's him. It's like the way to hypnotize your dad. Right. Cause this is it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The same thing. Like my, like my dad works from like 7am to like 11pm, like six days a week. And he comes in and out of the house and like, if I kind of put this movie on the one that I'll be talking about, he'll just be like, all right, let me sit down with some tortilla <laughs> chips. And, uh, are, they, are they getting yeah. kind of stunned with their hand on their hip? Just kind of like watching yes. it like in the middle right. of the room. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I'll just stop for a minute. I'll well, just that, put that sitting down. <laughs> I, the thing too is like, I imagine like my dad, cause he does a lot of like yard work now that he's retired, like coming inside, you know, get out of the heat. Oh, feel the dream design. Let me sit down and drink some lemonade and watch half an hour and catch my favorite scene and then go back out in the yard. Like that is totally, I think a very, as good of a definition of a dad movie (laughs) as you're going to find. So anyway, so the film I picked that is my dad's favorite film is feel the dreams. I believe it's from 1989 stars Kevin Costner. He plays Ray who has a wife, Annie, and I think his daughter's name is Karen. They are um, Iowa farmers. Him and his wife had decided they're going to work on this farm, had the easy life to sit out on the porch and drink lemonade and watch the grass grow. Good, like, rural American. Harvest corn, too. Harvest corn, yeah. They're kind of outsiders, though, because they, like, were hippies around Berkeley right. and, like, yeah. moved out here. And everyone's very conservative around them. Yeah. So and they, they kind of feel like out of place. But I, I think it's more just, like, he had some more loftier ambitions in life and... You know, I think in the movie he's 36. Yep. And he's what kinda, a loser. <laughs> right. Which is, I'm 36. I'm 36 I, yeah. yeah, you're 36. <laughs> so that, that part resonated too. He's just like, like. Could y'all imagine having a cornfield right now? Oh my God. Yeah. That's too big of a response. <laughs> yeah. but I can barely take care of the plants outside <laughs> yeah. on, the, on the porch. So, so like he definitely has like settled a little bit, but he's happy. He's content. And one day when he's out in the field, he hears a voice presumably from the heavens that says, if you build it, they will come. And he, you know, kind of takes it at face value. He's trying to decide what it means. And meanwhile, this whole time, his wife is totally goes along with whatever he decides. And he has a dream uh, and a vision of a baseball field. And so against their probably better financial judgment, decide to make room for this big baseball field. And then shoeless Joe Jackson, who played by Ray Liotta. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Yeah, he passed recently, recently too. Yeah. He just walks out from the corns, essentially a ghost of a very famous baseball player who was caught up in this rigging scandal in the 19, I think, 16 World Series, and it kind of tarnished his legacy. And so the movie sort of, it's kind of these episodes of him hearing voices, having visions and further going into this, trying to solve this mystery about 
what is like, what do they want me to do? What is the purpose of this? And he ends up going, uh, him and his wife have this shared dream of him at a baseball game with this famous author who, um, I guess is like kind of a recluse. So he goes to Boston and he's played by James Earl Jones and he sort of convinces him to go along with this and they go to a baseball game and he has a vision too, that he needs to go back to Iowa with him. And then when they get back, all these players have accumulated to essentially like live out their dreams again in the afterlife. And then the movie ends on like a very sentimental bittersweet where you realize like this was actually about him and his father and their connection through baseball and their dreams that have both kind of died. So anyway, I watched this movie a few times growing up and I absolutely hated it. My dad (laughs) would put it on and I I just thought it was, Hannah, I don't want to steal your word, but she... (laughs) You had the perfect word for what it is. Yeah, it, you can use no, the No, I mean, it's cloying. <laughs> it's like cloying. Yeah. It's like really trying to be sentimental and weepy uh, and nostalgic, too. It's very nostalgic for, like, you know, the simpler time of baseball when, it, you know. I specifically remember them playing this at daycare to put us to sleep <laughs> uh, when I was a kid. <laughs> so it was like almost like a punishment movie, uh, yeah. strangely. But... um. Man, something inside of me, I I think I've talked about this a few times on the podcast, but these sort of like cloyingly sentimental movies are like getting to me more and more the older I get. And there was something about watching this as a 36-year-old and, you know, parents are getting up there in age and you start thinking about your dreams and the scene at the end where his father reveals himself and they play catch one time. Yeah. It's like, man, that like really hit me in the feels. So it's a movie that like a younger, more cynical me absolutely hated. And now I watch it and it feels like pure American dream propaganda. Yeah. I mean, it totally is. They basically become like nostalgia farmers. Like the, instead of like growing corn, they're like growing this like Americana nostalgia for people to come. Wow. Visit. Yeah. And then the cars line they up are. at the end and they have a cynical take on it too. Like, Apparently, there are games that are actually played at this real field, and the tickets go for like fourteen hundred. Major League Baseball games recently. are played there, <laughs> yeah. and it's like fifteen hundred dollars a pop to so, go see a game at the Field of Dreams. So that's what made me think that this was based on a true story. Yeah. Whenever I found out there was a field, I was like, "Whoa!" There was a man. Like, hey, I don't know if that was God talking to him or his dead dad. But you don't get to know. You don't get to know. But yeah, I thought that it was like a real story and that that really happened to somebody. But it's not. It's because the movie was filmed there. Yeah, yeah they cleared the field for the movie. <laughs> That's what happened. Also, I, I like that um in the credits, they don't make it clear what the voice is either. It's just like the voice as himself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and they've never like said who voiced that yeah. character or it's what the voice a, is. There's probably a reason for that that I'm not clinging on to. It's also a, a novel, so maybe in the novel it's more maybe. clear. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It didn't feel religious. That, that's the thing. Like watching this was like, okay, like God's mm-hmm. telling a man to cut his corn down and yeah. make a I mean, it's the spirit field. of dreams. Right. Spirit I think it's dreams. the religion is um, the American dream. Oh. That's what it's like. The if there's any religiosity, that was to America it, speaking. Well, 
also it's like creating heaven on earth yeah, is like right. a concept that's done here. And I actually love that as like counter programming to most religious thought yeah. in cinema yeah. where it's like you're supposed yeah. to do these deeds in this life, which doesn't matter. And then later you'll be rewarded in the kingdom right. of heaven. And it's like, no, like it's important to create a better world now <laughs> like yeah. Uh, yeah you know yeah. create something for other people to enjoy well and also the fact that these baseball players have essentially been they've seen the afterlife right but they still want to come back to earth to play some baseball in this cool like, field yeah so the dream is alive and it's here and it's now but it wasn't clear to me like there's a line near the beginning where ray liotta first comes onto the field and he asks is this heaven and kevin costner says no this is iowa (laughs) (laughs) good gag (laughs) yeah Yeah. and then and then that comes up again (laughs) i think when he's talking to his father his Uh father asks him the same thing and he says the same thing he's like no this is iowa and then he says you know have you been to the afterlife and he says yeah it's the place where your dreams come true Mm. And then Kevin Costner is like, well, I guess that's here then. So it's, it wasn't actually clear to me if there was another, like, an actual afterlife yeah. or, like, I yeah, and mm. I like the idea of, like, maybe, I don't know, maybe our souls just go into limbo well, and, you know, until we get our own is, field. No, and, right. I, and I like that <laughs> idea that heaven is you living your dream. Yeah. 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 And so, like, again, like, all this stuff is very, like, sentimental and nostalgic. And I I just, like, I don't know. I'm kind of a sucker for it now. And I watched this and I was like, that movie like made me feel some stuff. And it's like, you know, it's well written. It's well shot. You know, James Earl Jones is great. Mm -hmm. There's some really good humor, like some dad jokes in there. And I think it's like a really bittersweet thing that I don't know, emotionally affected me. And, you know, it made me think a lot about my dad and, you know, how parents have to kind of give up their dreams a little bit when they decide to, or to raise a child and anyway so did you guys enjoy it i was kind of scared that people would actively (laughs) reject it i kind of went into it like not pissy but i was like oh god is this gonna be another like hoosiers um Uh, (laughs) specifically just from like the the beginning episode was like movies and genres (laughs) we don't like and james picked hoosiers uh, as like a sports movie. And this is another like sports drama right. kind of. So, yeah. So I kind of went into like with that mentality just because I was. Hoosiers yeah. is bad. Yeah. I was wrong about Hoosiers. <laughs> and I was like surprised that I really liked this movie. Okay, good, I, like, I'm glad. I didn't hate it. I mean, I wouldn't want to like watch it over and over again. But like if it's playing on TV or something, I'll, I'll kind of do the dad thing and get hypnotized and sit on the couch and watch the rest of it. But I liked it. Um, I got like really pulled into it. I found that Kevin Costner's character and his wife, and I keep forgetting her name. Oh, my God. She's great. But she's great. They were uh-huh. so good. Like I was rooting for both of them. And I kind of liked like how she had like so much faith and trust in her husband yeah. to just kind of be like, whatever the, the hell you're thinking. Sure. I thought that was kind of nice. Yeah. And she had reasonable reservations that yeah. she communicated to him. And then as soon as she felt some validity in what he was saying. She was like, all right, this, we're doing this. Well, yeah. I think like his like full hundred percent belief in the dream does rub off. Cause she like shares a dream with mm-hmm, him at right. one point. And then she's like, okay, I got it. Well, Cause they both have that mentality. Cause I think they both met at that whole, in the whole like sixties yeah. yeah. thing. And it kind of seems like you could tell they're two like 
very similar souls in that yeah, they're way. They're definitely idealists. Yeah. yeah. And so, the author he kidnaps is like their favorite author right. from when they were like young rebels. That they were they were trying to ban his books or something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in the novel, he's supposed to be J.D. Salinger. And um, J.D. Oh. Salinger's family threatened to sue if they oh, God. did the movie. <laughs> okay. um, so they change it enough that, you know, it's not Catcher in the Rye anymore. It's some other book that doesn't exist. Okay. But when they did that, I actually got kind of confused. I was like, "Are they? is this supposed to be Ralph Ellison who did Invisible Man? Because, mm-hmm. you know, at, changing the race of the character really does change a lot about him. Right. Um, and I guess it could work as either of those people. Hmm. But I don't know. I, to me, Ralph Ellison is like more of a like political choice <laughs> like a more yeah. like a provocative political text for mm-hmm. uh them to be arguing to teach in these schools yeah um so i, I thought that was interesting yeah and specifically the stuff with the wife is like what really hit me in the emotions in this like i teared up a lot every time she was like supportive of him even though his ideas were insane <laughs> like <laughs> uh I really liked this movie a lot. It gave me a lot of goosebumps in the same way that um, City of Angels did, which I was just repping for a couple yeah. of episodes ago. Uh, it's got this like kind of magical, realist, like eeriness to it, um, where it treats these like really absurd concepts very like straightforward. Like when, I think the first time he sees like a bunch of people on the baseball field practicing, he goes. Well, this is interesting. <laughs> like, that kind of like low key reaction to like stuff that's like very unreal, I thought was very cool. Yeah. And gave me goosebumps. And then the stuff where his wife was just like so supportive of him, even though his dreams were like actively bad for their financial well being. Yeah. Okay. Like really hit me in the emotions. Like the field wasn't, didn't take away that much corn. Right? I, Maybe I they have razor have the thin profit thought. margins. That confused yeah. me. I was looking at the, yeah, I was just looking at their field. I was like, I feel like y'all still have a lot of I'm like, porn. I, I think y'all But I guess okay. it's that in combination with the amount of money they had to oh, spend to on the, yeah. But kind of something else you mentioned, Brandon, like this movie, I've also thought of City of Angels. <laughs> so like, it, would we call this like romantic, happy ghost movies? Like what is the, you know what I mean? Like there's a type of movie like this. Where like even that movie Michael with John Travolta like uh, angels and ghosts mm-hmm. they're kind of like but not secular spooky. approaches to Christian films yeah so like yeah. you're kind of indulging in the same like philosophical and like spiritual yeah. realm as like a Christian movie would but you're just being more adults about okay. it and, like actually dealing with the otherworldliness of it mm-hmm. yeah. on its face and not just like well you gotta have faith that and you'll be rewarded in the end because of the blood of I Christ kept, like, right. it doesn't, like, <laughs> I kept like putting it all in the same bucket I'm like yeah. why am I doing that I mean this is a movie about faith you have to have faith that the voice <laughs> George Michael <laughs> not a dad but you know <laughs> <laughs> he's a daddy <laughs> oh he's definitely a daddy you, know, you gotta have faith that the voice is like gonna bring good things into your life so i guess it is doing that same deal but Mm -hmm. it just didn't feel it felt like actually like adult and like there were consequences to his ridiculous actions and i don't feel like a lot of movies get made like this anymore that aren't like christian film like yeah it it has like that really pro-american sentiment that you see in like you know it's a wonderful life or in this film like i feel like as a culture we're probably a little more cynical to that stuff you know who still does that is michael bay he'll have those shots of like the american flag well, with the sunshine <laughs> when i was it. gonna say <laughs> that the closest we have to it is like top gun yeah so, like that celebrate celebration of like america military propaganda too yeah but this is more like really at the heart of what 
the American dream. Like it does feel like American dream propaganda, but like extremely well done. And it's wholesome and not dogmatic. Yeah. Like the way it pushes back at like small minded conservatives in the small town. Mm -hmm. Like it's really differentiating between like pro America stuff. That's all about like control and like, um, you know, fealty. Yeah. And the fact that they're ex hippies. Yeah. it, It is like totally a baby boomer. Film. It's oh like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I think that's part of why my dad probably yeah. gravitates to it. It does capture something about those like ex hippies that kind of had to settle and maybe lost some of their like ideals, but still believe in the fundamental goodness of human nature in America. Like, yeah, I feel like that has been lost over the generation. So watching this felt felt very quaint. It's like, oh yeah, that's nice. I feel good. Maybe I am proud to be an American on some level. Idealistically, the version of freedom that America is supposed to offer. Yeah. uh, If you can afford it. It's a good concept in isolation from all the evil shit that's done in the name of it. (laughs) So what what did you think about the movie, (laughs) Hannah? Well, so I've seen this movie several times. This was one of our like VHS owns. I think my mom, my mom likes this movie. I don't think my dad likes this movie, but my dad actually now lives in the town that Moonlight Graham is from. <laughs> yes. um, he lives in Chisholm, Minnesota. Um, I don't know. I like. I don't want to like this movie, but I think I I do. <laughs> despite <laughs> despite myself, I don't really like very sentimental movies, and I I think like Kevin Costner is so like good-natured and charming that it that kind of works for me i think the wife is just like such a cool fun character like when she right after the pta meeting like she's in the um they're going by the locker she's like yeah take that she's like she's like (laughs) shadow boxing (laughs) and i don't like to feel manipulated by movies and i think i like, I was making fun of this movie as we were watching it. Like, there's this one part where they're talking about the doctor, and there's this, they're reading his obituary, which is very sweet, but there's a line that it's like, he's like putting glasses of milk in the pockets of children um, that I thought was very silly. But then, like, when you get to the end, and he's like alone on the field with his father, and he's introducing his granddaughter to his father to his father like i don't know you can't help but feel good about that moment Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean the whole like getting worked thing i think that's what's changed for me is like i tend to agree but i think now i love getting worked in a movie it's kind of the same thing in wrestling like i love just buying into the storyline and like oh damn they're manipulating me and i love it (laughs) and a movie like this just makes it so clear like we are trying from the very second this film starts to tug at your heartstrings and get an emotion out of you. And no matter how much you try to reject it, you will end up getting sucked in. And I think Feel the Dreams is like a perfect example. Like you can be the most cold hearted person and try to yeah. put, push this movie away and it just it's going to work on you. Yeah. And especially like the music is especially it's like tinkling like <laughs> yeah. and like light strings. I'm like, motherfucker, I know what you're trying to do. Like, stop it. Um, there is also there's one part that, 
that made me like irrationally angry. <laughs> and I know that this is such a stupid detail and it like it's not significant, but when um the daughter's choking on the hot dog <laughs> in the end. That was out of nowhere. And she yeah. like fa- I thought yeah, she, so she I didn't know she was choking. I thought she just yeah. fell. <laughs> so I think he like she fell and then the she's eating a hot dog and then it's like lodged in her right, throat. Right, right. So the and like I know why they had to do this for like from like a storytelling perspective, but the wife is running into the hospital. Or sorry, I'm sorry. She's running into the house to call nine one one, and then Kevin Costner is like, "No, wait, wait." And then one of the baseball players that they've recruited is like the younger version of this man who finally became a doctor. And then he like slowly steps up to the line that separates the baseball field. But he's still dead, too. Right. Yeah. And then he passes through the line, and then he becomes the doctor, and then he... But there's a moment of, like, because it was always his dream to to play baseball, and then Uh he became a doctor, and he that was another dream that he realized. So there's, like, a moment of hesitation before he becomes the doctor, and then he, like, saves the girl. And I was like, Kevin Costner, why don't you just let your wife run into the house and (laughs) call 911? That made me nervous, too. And I'm like, just Just the ambulance coming, because they probably have to check her out later, too. Yeah, no, exactly. The way I thought about it was, like, they ha- they know that they're in the movie right. field of dreams and nothing bad is going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So just, right. just like let matter. the angel save yeah. her daughter. Like but it's going to be fine. It's out. the field yeah. of dreams. I think the thing <laughs> no that... No one dies in the field of dreams. I think that like for me, even like sacrificing his family's wealth for this baseball field, like to me, it, it still works for me. Like... They're all betting on this thing. People make that kind of decision all the time where they're like betting on something financially. But that was it was just like every nothing is more important than the dream. Like the allowing this man to like like pausing everything to let this baseball player decide to either stay or become a doctor again. It's like that was more important in that moment than the daughter's life in a way and i know that that's like i don't know it's Get your so stupid <laughs> well i don't understand why that crisis was necessary you say it's necessary yeah. to the story i don't know why it is actually right. i like, think it was no, just I mean, more proof to be like the field is taking care yeah. of everything what i meant was so i was talking to james about this and my problem with i mean yeah it probably wasn't necessary it's like so but, ice, it's so yeah. self-contained but my thing i was like why don't they just let her go in the house right? and james yeah. said well you know if she went in the house then she wouldn't be there when to like the, the girl ghost. right yeah no <laughs> right? from a see- storytelling yeah. perspective so th- i was like yeah I get it. so that's what i meant by oh, from a okay. storytelling like i know i get why they didn't have her run in the house but from like a human it's like that's crazy if my daughter was choking on a hot dog and i was like wait honey this guy's gonna become a doctor <laughs> just to you this. wait yeah i was like that like totally uh, shattered the illusion for me a little bit anyway it brought just- me back into reality that yeah. part where i was like oh okay this is a little too much right I was, you know because <laughs> in real life now. i'd be like yeah, yeah i'm not fucking listening to anything you say anymore man <laughs> right yeah, yeah. yeah. i'd be like okay this is great but we're we're gonna have a talk about this. Yeah, I the, the, run into the, the daughter's house. life being in danger felt like yeah, strange. Like it didn't really yeah. fit with the vibe. Like because again, it resolves the, itself so quickly. Right. Yeah. Okay. You know, I get, I'll grant you that. But I mean, and Gabby Hoffman is a really cute kid. Yeah. Too, like, well, it's <laughs> funny so, too. It so was throwing cute. me off in the beginning because 
you all seen Uncle Buck. Oh, hell yeah. Where the actress that plays the wife is Uncle Buck's girlfriend. Yeah. And the daughter is it's his the daughter. Niece. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, man, what if this movie is some like continuation of the, the Uncle, Uncle Buck, Buck universe? universe. <laughs> well, Whoa. We'll get to Whoa. that when we do our uncle's favorite movies episode. Oh, God. Oh, I don't want to know. For Uncle's oh, Day. Boy. Wait, wait, actually, that's hilarious because I actually, I actually know what my uncle's favorite movie is and it's Tommy Boy. Wow. Yeah. Oh, boy. Wonderful. So we're already covering yeah. that. Big. Well, to wrap it up, I'm glad that it seems like everybody at least somewhat enjoyed mm-hmm. this I movie. Really I really liked enjoyed this. it. Yeah. Okay. It was good. I'm glad like everyone got a little, or at least it seems like me and Brandon got a little teary. And I wonder if like, I was thinking about this too, because it doesn't seem like Brittany or Hannah had like that emotional teary eyed reaction that me and Brandon had. And I wonder if it's have to do with like sons and their father, like that specific relationship really resonate with me that much. Like, I actually was thinking Maybe. about how much stronger my like familial bond is with my wife than my dad. By oh, like, uh, yeah. how much more affected I was by that yeah. relationship. Yeah, because that was Aww. just as strong in this movie as like the father son thing. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I actually liked the doctor character a lot. I liked that shade of because you know the movie's talking about dreams and he is mm-hmm. saying like, yeah, I had a dream of being a baseball player and it didn't work out. But I became a doctor and that was very fulfilling and maybe that's what I was meant to do. And I think that's a really awesome message to hear because like, yeah. we get these ideas of like, oh, my dream when I was a kid was to do this and I'm not doing it and therefore I'm a failure. And that's not true, man. Yeah. Like your life works out in different ways and, you know. Yeah. And I oh, do God. think like that the scene with the daughter was totally like artificially created to give him the chance to decide at because the whole thing with the doctor is that he like misses a hit in one inning and uh, then yeah. he basically like can't continue in his baseball career so then he becomes a doctor so it's like his dream has failed so he goes to something else well but, that's true i guess that is i yeah. didn't think about it that so way then he has it, the choice to stay yeah. on the field right. and forever. That, see, and that's yeah. why it bothered me so much because I was like, maybe this guy doesn't want to be a doctor again. He's like <laughs> standing at the line and then he's deciding. But it's like he kind of replays that game. That child ruined everything. Yeah. <laughs> he replays <laughs> that game, but he gets the hit this time because Ray mm-hmm. Liotta like gives him some guidance and tells him to stop winking at the pitcher right (laughs) so he like achieved his dream he just wanted to make one hit well but i think the thing is it's like okay now like you didn't have that failure so your life can go in the trajectory that you were imagining before Mm, but so now you have the opportunity to choose becoming a doctor as opposed to like this is basically my backup plan for but he and he still chooses can i play like script doctor for a second here sure yeah you want to fix this don't have Gabby Hoffman in danger. Right. Have the um, banker brother-in-law yeah. choke on the fucking hot dog. Oh, yeah. And then his um, like doubting about the <laughs> yeah. dream is, uh, you know, turned around right. because the ghost because, saves his life. Yeah. That is oh, so great. I thought you were like, let him die and be punished by the field of dreams. Brandon, that just... was, that's such a good idea. I've but solved it, field of dreams, right, y'all. But then it wouldn't <laughs> you be... saw Hannah's one problem yeah. with field of dreams. <laughs> I and now I'm imagining him getting so like furiously eating a hot dog and getting so upset that they won't sign it over the, yeah. and choking on the hot dog. So maybe that would have been too comedic. Yep. 
Um, yeah. But, but to end it, I think, cause you asked at the beginning, like how my dad is and why, I guess the question I'm coming to is like, why is this one of my dad's favorite movie? I mean, it, and it is like an objectively sentimental, sweet movie, but I, I think it is that like mixture of sappiness, sentimental with like just lighthearted comedy, feel good stuff. I feel like, like we talked about it, you can turn it on randomly when you're cutting the grass and like still get some emotion out of it in like 20, 30 minutes. So yeah, I feel like this is like kind of a quintessential dad movie. What's your dad's relationship with baseball? Doesn't watch baseball. <laughs> That's amazing. I don't think it's anything about, it's nothing about baseball. It's about dreams. It's more about cutting of grass. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Classic dad activity. I Let's say I go into some guy's office. Let's say he's even remotely interested in buying something. Well, then I get all excited. I'm like, Jojo, the idiot circus boy with a pretty new pet. The pet is my possible sale. Oh, my pretty little pet. I love you. So I stroke it. And I pet it. And I massage it. Yeah, I love it. I love my little naughty pet. You're naughty. And then I take my naughty pet and I go. (laughs) Oh, I killed it. I killed my (laughs) sail. That's when I blow it. That's when people like us have got to forge ahead, Helen. Am I right? God, you're sick. My dad also has a few favorite movies. My dad is, he's a pretty serious man. He's extremely intelligent. He does not talk a lot unnecessarily. And um, he does have like, I wouldn't describe him as goofy, but he does have like, he does have a good sense of humor. He likes like, um, some of the Mel Brooks movies, some of them he doesn't care for. And then the, like the Zucker Brother movies and Monty Python, like that's kind of his realm of sense of humor. But one of his favorite movies, other than The Umbrellas of Sherbo, is uh, The Seven Samurai. So my dad loves Akira Kurosawa. And he used to watch those movies with me when I was a kid. I specifically remember The Hidden Fortress we, we owned and we watched together. But I think my dad is a very honorable person and he believes in duty to others and duty in your place in society and that's very important to him and has been important in his career in his life so my i like my dad i love my dad um anyway so the seven samurai is directed by akira kurosawa it was filmed in 1954 it's actually a pretty straightforward plot it is three and a half hours long. I said holy shit out loud to myself when I started it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm going to watch this over yeah. breakfast. I was like, holy oh. shit. <laughs> should, that, no. should, that two, should that three be a two? Right. <laughs> no. Yeah, I was just like, this movie is big. Yeah, it's a big movie. It's, it's an big epic. and long. Um, yeah. It's the most yeah. expensive Japanese production at, at yeah. this time. It was, uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think the budget was 580 
million dollars what no 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 no, no. i'm sorry that's wrong it was half a million dollars very different (laughs) it made like two million it's like what why didn't it just look like top gun maverick (laughs) also that i think it made like two million dollars so that would have been a absolute disaster right. yeah, he would have never made a film again million dollars okay that was wrong i'm sorry it's cool okay. we all believed it though we were yeah. like well, <laughs> what yeah, it could yeah. Be. So, okay so it's about a farming town that is being kind of attacked by this group of bandits the bandits have been to this town periodically um but they the opening scene is the bandits like ride up to this village. They're preparing to pillage it and they realize that their barley isn't ripe yet. So they're like, let's come back when the barley's ripe. And there's a villager that's kind of like hiding amongst the brush that hears them. And he comes back and reports this to the village. He's like, they're going to come. They're going to take our barley. We need to do something. And the village elder says, okay, you need to go to this town and recruit samurai so they go to this town they find this samurai name or i don't know what his name is but he's played by um takashi shimura who is one of akira kurosawa's like recurring actors and this samurai has this kind of like apprentice guy that tags along with him and he he talks to the villagers and he says okay we need to have seven we need to have seven samurai to protect this village so the first half of the movie is mostly like recruiting various samurai um they all kind of have different personalities and skills the last samurai to be recruited is played by toshiro mifune who i absolutely love and he's another one of akira kurosawa's like recurring actors and he's just this absolutely batshit crazy dude he's the hothead yeah (laughs) he's he's wild he's a wild man so they come back to the village and Takashi Shimura's character is he's leading all the samurai and he starts to break down how they need to fortify this village and the rest of the first half kind of follows the training of the villagers and um, the fortification of each side of the town so they they like build this wall on one side on another side they have to destroy this bridge so that this moat fills up they like fill up these rice patties and it's like very strategic, very art of war uh, type of thing. So the second half is the invasion of the bandits on the town and the fight between the samurai and the villagers against the bandits. And it's kind of like first the bandits try to uh, first they send some scouts the village, the samurai take care of them. Then they try to like attack on all sides of the fortifications and they're able to fend them off. And then it follows like three waves of onslaughts by the bandits. Oh, and there's also, they also go to the bandits hideout and uh, burn some people up. Uh, anyway, this movie is three and a half hours long, but it did not feel like three and a half hours to me. I felt like it was pretty well paced. I thought. All of the samurai were very interesting. There's one character in particular who is an excellent swordsman, but is also like this very like honorable, kind man. Um, and he's just like a very humble, beautiful character. Um, this movie is beautifully shot. It uses a lot of like telephoto shots. So 
like it's capturing every like the foreground and the background on one flattened screen and it leads to these like really interesting compositions and this isn't the kind of movie that you just throw on or like you pick up on in the middle of the afternoon i think that is one type of dad movie and i think this is the type of dad movie that is like concerned with the social order and especially the social relationships between men and like the responsibility and like consequences of violence and i feel my dad also loves the godfather and i feel like these two movies they're not they're not the same but they are kind of connected by that thread it's like part of it is a mediation on men and masculinity and protection of your community um anyway so i i really like this movie yeah anytime you start one of these epic three and a half hour like when you hit play there's like a not really a dread but you're like damn all right man settle (laughs) in this is gonna be a long afternoon and with something like that like this is you know one of the greatest movies ever made it's been hyped up beyond belief and so and for good reason, like it is three and a half hours, but like definitely by that intermission, like I was aware of how long it was in the very beginning, just cause it took a while to get going. But once you get to like that intermission and then the actual battle, it flies by, yeah. especially yeah. the second half of the movie is pretty exhilarating. And like, I think the two things I really appreciate about it was it looks beautiful, especially that final battle where it's in the rain, which just looks muddy and gross. Yeah. And I'm sure the actors were miserable. It was February when they filmed that. Yeah, and you can tell <laughs> they're breathing yeah. like that it looks cold. It's kind of the opposite of um, the final sword battle in Lady Snowblood where everything is so pristine and like mm-hmm. clean yeah. and like very graphic. No, this, this is just is mud me- and mud. Yeah, and it's messy. Yeah. Slushy. So I, I thought the look of it was remarkable and i also was surprised at how funny parts of it were yes and how like how humanistic it was too like a lot of it is just the samurai sort of hanging out joking with each other and like just character building calling all the little village children piss pants (laughs) yeah and especially that what's the actor's name mifune yeah like his character brought so much life to the movie and like by far my favorite character and it was like more entertaining than you would think a 1950s Japanese three and a <laughs> yeah. half hour movie should be. Yeah, that's what got me invested in it was like when the little pops of humor started to hit. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Yeah. And I, I was like, okay, maybe this will be a good time. And I loved yeah. it. So apparently it was originally going to be six samurai and Toshiro Mufune was going to be oh. the leader. And then they like realized like, Six, like, very stolid samurai is, it's not going to be that interesting. And we need, like, a wild card, basically. So then, yeah, so they recast Toshiro Mifune as this, like, absolute, like, crazy person. And um, they let him improvise a lot of the stuff that he did. Well, that's interesting, though, because, like, I've always thought of seven, like, even in the Bible, seven is, like, the perfect number. I don't know why they would choose yeah. six. I, yeah, it's a way better. Seven is a way better number. I was a little cooler on this. It's like so technically impressive. Mm-hmm. And like to like say it's not like one of the greatest movies of all time. Like what what am I even doing here? But I don't know. <laughs> like 
it reminds me of dad movies that came after it that I don't like very much. Like, yeah. like war movies. War movies yeah, and westerns. War movies and West- like yep. this oh. is it was marketed in the US as the Magnificent Seven, speaking of that number. And then mm-hmm. later, you know, that was sort of roughly remade as an actual Western. Yeah. And that sort of like serious like code of honor among men and like the duty to the community stuff bores me to fucking tears in westerns <laughs> and like over an hour into this movie one of the farmer's daughters like finally becomes like a character i'm like a woman with like a speaking <laughs> part in this like and i actually got wrapped up in her you know hiding as a boy and then falling in love narrative i was like okay i'm actually like emotionally there's invested. no there's, the pay- there's no payoff to that story it doesn't really go all. anywhere yeah but at, at least i became like excited about a narrative development that wasn't just like me, like in awe of the scale of it, which I thought mm-hmm. I was impressed with it. It's like a technical achievement. I was just like, if we were doing like dad movies, I don't normally care for. It is like sports, westerns, and war. <laughs> like, and this movie yeah. does two <laughs> two out of those three. Yeah, like the thing is, is I would. And I, it's been a while, but this movie seemed to be like very historically accurate. So uh, there were a few times where I was like, oh, okay, macho, macho. But I'm like, oh, well, that was kind of it. Like, right. that's historical accuracy. Because I'd taken an Eastern civilization class when I was in college. And my professor was, like, obsessed with this movie. And he made us watch a samurai movie. It was not this one. But, like, we really got to dive into, like, the importance of honor mm-hmm. and how that's so huge. And it was kind of cool to be refreshed on all that because i did find it like fascinating when i was like you know 20 yeah um so it was kind of cool to like revisit all of that but yeah i really liked the costumes in yeah here. i thought it was so like just the head pieces were so beautiful one of my favorite little places to visit is um the third floor over at noma and they have oh. like a lot of really cool um you know samurai mm-hmm. artifacts so I was kind of like poking around looking for like, you know, <laughs> little things like that, which was kind of fun, especially in all the battle scenes in that second half. Yeah, I mean, it. I kind of agree with Brandon a little bit in that, like, it's one of the, you know, one of the greatest movies ever made. Everyone. What does that recla- mean? I don't know. But like, <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, no, I want to dig into that a little bit. Culturally okay. sig- well, here's significant. A, here's a, yeah, and it is culturally well, significant. Yeah. But I think. This is always on the list. You know, the top 10, it's like... I feel like the canon should be questioned is all I'm saying. Well, oh. and what, what I'm saying Barely is... Barely so. What I was, the point I was getting at was like, when we rewatched a while back Citizen Kane, mm-hmm. great, you know, greatest movie ever, I actually watched and I was like, holy shit. Yeah. That is a great effing movie. Like, this one, I came away with like, that was really good. But I didn't quite have that leap to like... Oh my God. Yeah, that is in the canon of greatest ever. And I, I have had that experience with a Kurosawa movie before, though, which was Akiru. Yeah. Uh, the, I think it just translates to like life. Uh, yeah, that's a beautiful that movie. The movie's fucking great. And I actually, I like that one and I like Rashomon more Rashomon's than yeah, this one. I but like Rashomon as like a genre template. Like, I, I think that's like a really well like constructed little story. And like, yeah, the way where every story is different angles. Yeah, it's and, great. Yeah. And it's been referenced so many times. It like well, unlocks just, the whole thing for me. Yeah, and just like Seven Samurai. Like I actually like the Magnificent Seven quite a lot as a Western, probably more 
than this. So I see the template that it's I feel set. like this invented the Western genre. That whole idea of like Ooh. the small town being raided from the outside. Right. Um, and we need though, to recruit. Yeah. Yeah. Magnificent Seven is so specific to this. But like, I feel like there's a lot of Westerns that would not exist in the way that they do without this movie. Absolutely. And it's like, that's wonderful if you really care about Westerns, but I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying like on its, just judging it by itself as a movie, even in like Kurosawa's canon, like very, very good, but not even his best. But I don't know. That's like subjective. Yeah. It's an obviously. emotional engagement thing. And I get that there are people who would feel a lot. And it sounds like your dad feels a lot about like mm-hmm. the, the codes of honor in this. And I guess what I'm saying is I think it's worthwhile to question what the greatest movies of all time are yeah. for like, what does that mean anymore? I don't know. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot of like, um, there's like a barrier of entry where there's stuff that's smaller scale and more emotionally engaging and actually has more to do with like how I see the world and engage with life that there's no space for that stuff because like seven samurai is such a huge accomplishment just on a technical, like, for a director to handle this many extras in mm-hmm. these locales and to burn down those buildings and like just on a choreography scale, like very impressive filmmaking. Um, I just didn't feel anything while watching other than like, wow, that, that, that looks very expensive and like is cool. I feel the greatest movie ever made thing. It's a lot of it. Like Brittany was saying is like, cause it's culturally and historically significant to film. Like this film and Citizen Kane too have influenced every single film that has kind of come after it. So it's hard to like watch it for the first time now and just sort of judge it on its own as a standalone film. Like it gave birth to so many other things. Yeah, it's like you kind of, I think the greatest film thing takes into account the historical record of like its significance on the impact it had on filmmaking in general for decades. So I, I definitely saw that in this this movie for sure, but probably not my favorite Kurosawa even. But it very very good. I wish uh, I had been raised with a dad who like showed me movies like this as a kid too. Like honestly, I can't even I feel imagine. Like I'd have a much deeper yeah. appreciation for this stuff. Where like I've watched <laughs> because of the movies my dad liked as a kid. I watched stuff like Freddy Got Fingered. And I'm like, <laughs> this movie's fantastic. And then I watch yeah. Seven Samurai. I'm like, this movie's really good. Like it's really well made. But <laughs> I, you know. I just didn't feel anything. I just I think it's cool to have movies like this though, because like if you're interested in like those time periods and like getting an idea of like what the reality of it is, and you're not a big book person, like I always think like what movie could I go to if I'm interested in this like this time period in history that would really give me a good perspective and a good visual, and I think like that's what I liked about this movie a lot because it's, it is hard to put the pieces together in your head sometimes if you're reading, you know, articles and you're reading books and things like that. So like, I have an appreciation for it in that sense. Well, I think this, this movie did an excellent job in the first half of like building up these characters. Like you're spending time with them where like once the battle happens and you know, someone's going to die there, there is like, I actually, disagree a little bit with Brandon like I actually was invested in the characters of like damn like who's gonna die who's it gonna be and like by the end there's only three samurai left I did the ending with the children singing like that was kind of like near and dear to my heart I don't know like I felt like the bittersweetness of that yeah is really rough. Yeah. yeah 
It's a great movie. It's really well constructed. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm arguing against here. <laughs> well, we're taking a wild shift for the rest of this episode. <laughs> uh, Brittany, what's your dad's favorite movie? So I think my dad's favorite movie just really describes my dad. And that is Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> I hope you don't mean that very literally. No, um, <laughs> just because like a, a little description of my dad, like my dad is very like, he's just super, super Cajun. He's a trawler and a welder and a very like salt of the earth guy. Um, more interested in like being out in nature and like doing stuff than like watching TV. He doesn't really watch a lot of TV or movies. He's never been on a computer he just got a smartphone. He does not text. And when I say that, everyone's like, oh, is your dad like 80? And I'm like, he's like not even 60. Like <laughs> He's just like in his late 50s. But I would consider him like one of my best friends. He's super like open-minded, even though he's like this like, you know, Cajun trawling dude. But he's just real supportive. And most importantly, he's like the funniest person that I know. So... Anytime I'm watching anything with my dad, it's Jackass. It's Trailer Park Boys. <laughs> you know, like, that's the kind of stuff that we've always watched together. It's Pee Wee's, you know, big adventure. But when I thought, like, what is his favorite movie? I'm like, it's Dumb and Dumber. Like, since that movie came out till, like, now, anytime it's playing, he will, like, put everything down and just bust his ass laughing at any moment in this movie and i just have like really fond memories of it even to the point where like his mom she's passed but she loved this movie too so it was like my grandma and my dad and me like all like kind of bonded over this movie specifically the shit scene um wait 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 i called my dad the other day and i asked him what his favorite movie was uh -huh. um and i didn't pick this one because you had already picked it uh, and he was like, oh, it's probably Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> and then he asked me what my favorite scene in Dumb and Dumber was. He's like, what do you think the best scene in Dumb and Dumber is? I was like, obviously, it's when he takes a shit and the toilet doesn't work. And he's like, yeah, that's the best part. That's the best part. <laughs> it's like universally, everyone's favorite part is the shitter. Yes, because poop humor is funny. Like, that's, we're the type of family, like, we fart at the dinner table. Like, you know, we're like the fucking clumps, okay? Like, it's, <laughs> if you want to get a perspective of my upbringing <laughs> i thought with your dad being cajun i thought water boy would have probably been his favorite movie to an extent, that would have been my guess i don't know he i guess i guess i don't know Same if it's wheelhouse. on he'll he'll watch it yeah. but i don't think he i don't think he ever took that connection like to where oh that's like us it's <laughs> i funny. feel represented here yeah, yeah. yeah it's like making fun of Cajun, I guess so. Right? Yeah, if anything, know. my mom's like her and Kathy Bates in that movie are so identical in the way she is with like me and my brother. <laughs> so yeah, Dumb and Dumber. It's uh, Peter. Um, is it Peter Farley? Far yeah, Farley, Farley, right? The Farley, the Farley Bros. It's his first movie. So um, he went on to make great things like Movie Forty Three, oh. <laughs> a classic that everyone God. loves. Wonderful. <laughs> And shallow Hal. Oh, oh right. God. But did he do Green Book or was that his? He brother? did Green Book. Jesus oh. Christ. So he I, did, I, didn't, I didn't hate Green Book. I'm gonna put that out. You saw it. Green Book. Yeah, I saw You're it. You're a menace. <laughs> <laughs> Best movie they ever did. That I think was that that stuck on you. Oh, with the you Siamese remember, twin the Siamese? brothers. That's yeah. that's a good one. So he's had a couple Brandon's of stinkers. Making a face like. <laughs> You don't Locks like Stuck on You? Brothers. I don't like any of these movies. Me, myself, and Irene? <laughs> no. 
Wait, there's something about Mary? No, not I like fan. that one. It's a, it's a okay. good one, right? That's a, that one's it's good. A Peter Farley movie. Okay, okay, one wonderful. good movie. So, um, well, this was his first one, and I think his first and his best, obviously. And this came, so this movie came out in 1994, and this 1994 was a pretty big year for Jim Carrey. The Mask came out. Holy shit! Ace Ventura: Pet Detective came out, and Dumb and Dumber. So he had one very wow. lucrative year. Yeah. Wow. So what I think of this movie, I always think of like this was like Jim Carrey at his like peak. Like, cause when you think of nineties comedies, like he's like one of the first people that like flies into my brain where it's like, you know, the mask or mostly this, I think this, this to me is probably one of the best comedies of all time, but specifically like probably the best comedy of the nineties, I think. So it stars Jim Carrey in his heyday and it also stars Jeff Daniels. Now Jeff Daniels, who was stupid funny in here, never really had like a true like comedic role like this in a movie. So he kind of like had a big risk taking this on. And I looked into it and Jim Carrey, because he was in such demand, he was in his, con- he, in his contract, he negotiated 7 million for this. And Jeff Daniels was 50,000. Oof. <laughs> no. Oof. Because they wanted to like persuade him to not do it. Like they wanted Nicolas Cage they wanted Steve Martin. They wanted Martin Short. And they, like, turned it down. What? And they were like, Jeff Daniels, maybe. Oh. Like, we don't really want him to do I, it. I hate to say it, but I think he's funnier than he's Jim Carrey. way funnier. Yeah. Like, he right? is what makes this movie funny. He's on the shitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the shitter and, and the snowball scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's one of my favorites. I, Jim Carrey's performance gets a little annoying. Really? After, oh, I think uh, he's great. Uh. So... The two of them, like, where it seems like they were this unlikely duo that just kind of created, like, comedic magic on the screen. I will laugh. I've seen this at least a freaking hundred times. And I still laugh, like, from that horrible (laughs) opening scene where he's pretending to be, like, the passenger in the limo. All the way until the very end, whenever they have the oil boys recruitment scene just hilarity all the way through so just to kind of give the plot of this movie for those who haven't seen it but i'm pretty sure everyone in the world has this seen is this. actually my first time seeing this movie <laughs> 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 oh, oh my god yeah. i can't okay. wait to hear your, oh my god because oh <laughs> <Your perspective>. yeah, <laughs> right. i'm gonna try not to quote this movie a bunch because there are some just like solid quotes that like Till this day, anytime I see, like, you know, soup du jour, I'm like, mm-hmm, that sounds great. I think I'll have that. <laughs> anyway, so Harry and Lloyd are these two idiots who have kind of dead-end jobs. Ha- um, Harry has this car that he turned into a sheepdog for a business he has for dog grooming. And Lloyd is a limo driver. And Lloyd is dropping off Mary Swanson. Mary Swimmy, Swimmy, Slappy, Swanson, Swanson. So Samsonite. <laughs> Samsonite. Samsonite. So he's picking her up to bring her to the airport, and she's gorgeous. And Jim Carrey actually was married to her for a short amount of time. Thinking like 96. I mean, imagine working with Jim Carrey on the set of this movie and be like, I'm going to marry that man. What a hot guy. <laughs> so Fuck. you know that... Just an FYI, like, he has this horrible haircut and a big chip in his tooth, and that's his real tooth chip. He took his veneer off. 
<laughs> for this role. Oh, I assume that they like blacked it out or no, something. No, it's real. Oh, all right. Really? Wow. Yes. Interesting. But I, this movie does start off with a bang. It's a lot of funny and. I keep, you know, my mind's all over the place, but something I want to talk about before I keep going forward with the plot that I noticed when watching this that I didn't notice on any other viewings before is that in the beginning credits, like everything's misspelled. misspelled. Like, yeah, I director caught that too and producer time, yeah. and music. <laughs> well, anyway, so he um, is dropping Mary off at the airport and he's watching her and she leaves a br- her briefcase in the airport and he sees it and then um he wrecks into a car and he's trying to fight this airbag off so he can like get out and grab the briefcase for her um another great scene goodbye my love so he swoops it up and his goal is like i need to get this back to her he goes back to the apartment both he and harry both lost their job and they come up with the idea, like, we got to bring this back to Mary. So then becomes this huge, like, road trip from Providence, Rhode Island to Aspen um, with a bunch of wacky, zany things that mm-hmm. happen. And the big thing is, is this briefcase is full of money and they don't know it quite yet. And it's ransom money for Mary Swanson's husband who has been kidnapped and they get intertwined in all this. And the bad guys think that they are these criminal masterminds that are somehow like trying to like take the job away from them. So yeah, that's basically the plot of the movie. And there's just like, the thing about this movie is every single scene, there is something hilariously stupid going on like be it like if you look at jim carrey in the background on any scene where he's not in focus he's doing something stupid like there's never a a like a stagnant moment where like there's nothing ridiculous and it's i love it so much because it's just so you know vibrant and high energy like that so yeah what do y'all think of it? What is y'all relationship I, I hear, with I Dumb and Dumber? I want to hear take well, on, so th- on first viewing of yeah, Dumb and Dumber. I am so excited. So yeah. The, yeah. No pressure, though. So my like family, <laughs> we were not like a Dumb and Dumber family. Like, no, you were a Seven Samurai <laughs> Seven Samurai fan. <laughs> yeah. Like, this was just not a part of my viewing world at all. I was not expecting to like it. I thought that it had more heart than I assumed it would. And that was all from Jeff Daniels. Like he just looked like a sweet golden retriever and he rides in a dog. And I think that, okay. So the other thing that surprised me was like how strange this world was like, their weird, dirty apartment with like just <laughs> the worms. worms everywhere. <laughs> we got it worms. It was just so worms. strange and unexplained. And I like, I really, really liked that aspect of it. Just like the kind of surreal, like weird. I always thought like- Providence, Rhode Island was fancy. Yeah. But it, it makes it look like they'd be in the back streets of like right. some like rotten city somewhere. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, Providence, I mean, <laughs> right? Rhode Island is tiny and it's, it is like a college town. Like they have, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, Northeasterners. But I do agree. I love them as these like surreal agents yeah. of chaos. It is a fantasy world where, where stupid people are kind of funny yeah. and cute. We're like in the, re- in the real world, like stupid people are the meanest, most closed minded right. assholes in the world. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I like that idea that like there's a world where like dumb people are adorable. 
I mean, I guess yeah. like there's a there's a lot of like well, himbo revisionism Lo- well, lately. I feel I, like Lloyd is like the mean, horrible dummy. Yeah, but then um, Harry's like yeah, the, he's the sweetheart. Sweet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I really did not like. Lloyd. Yeah, Lloyd is like I don't know, kind of conniving and like yeah, very possessive. And he took very <laughs> weird. Yeah, and he says I forgot what he says, but me and James horrible. were talking about this. Uh, how they're like. It's really disturbing when someone is as immature as a 12-year-old and as horny as a 16-year-old in yeah. the body of an adult. Like, that's just a <laughs> yeah, bad yeah. combination of characteristics. <laughs> that that's like really, madness. Yeah, oh like God. really off-putting to me. But <laughs> Harry's date with her at the ski lodge is like it's sweet. very He's sweet. A sweetheart. Yeah. Just gets his tongue stuck on the, you know. And I, I think the Farley brothers at their best I think something about Mary stuck on you when they actually do something good. It's because it has that heart and like dumb and dumber has a shows it a little bit, but I think in definitely in stuck on you and there's something about Mary. It has a little more of like that human heart to it. Yeah. And that's like the main thing. Like, and that's why Harry watching this again was like my favorite part. Cause he brought yeah. some like, actual human element to all this like insanity that's happening well it also helps that he's funny and jim carrey is not right. funny <laughs> oh wow i find them both funny i don't know i, I just... jim carrey is very hard for me it hurt to, to yeah. watch this <laughs> <laughs> he's I exhausting I, he is exhausting i i feel like i'm like between y'all's opinion and britney's like i grew up on this movie so like i have more of a stomach for 90s era jim Oh, I loved him when I was a kid. When I was twelve, I, he like put a magic spell on me where I was just like, "This is oh, the funniest the I've ever <laughs> seen in my life." Yeah. Like, oh my god! Like- so I, I'm curious what y'all think of this particular scene because, like, I to me this was like the showcase of like Jim Carrey's humor for me in this movie. But it's when he's having the fantasy of like meeting Mary Swanson's family, and oh, he does like I thought that was very the funny. fart. In the flame and all that, yeah. Well, that's and, funny. Yeah, I thought <laughs> that's that, funny. That was funny. Yeah, I thought that like his idea of like successfully entertaining adults is like doing this like absurd, <laughs> like throwing nuts at his face, and See, everybody's that's like, sweet. Oh, ha, ha, ha. right? Yeah. yeah, that part I thought was very funny. Yeah, yeah. That sequence kind of opened something up for me, though. Where like he is so annoying because he's exhausting. It feels like babysitting a child, oh, watching for sure. him for. An hour and 46 minutes, which this movie has no business being. But like that extended Brandon. fantasy sequence. <laughs> How dare you? Was nice. And probably one of the best scenes in the movie because you get a break from him. And so, like, it kind of slows down and quiets down a little bit. You know and he still he, does ridiculous stuff, but he's not like throwing impressions and goofy voices at he you. He improvised that entire like, um, like kung fu scene. Just an oh, FYI. Yeah. yeah. That was pretty annoying. It was like, very rah, annoying. Rah, 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 rah. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, that's but little... it's so stupid. That's it is what stupid. makes it funny. I don't know. I, it also opens up for me where like Romeo and Michelle is not that different from this with like the road trip and like the uh, two kind of like not bright people. And it's just a way better movie. And oh, has that's an like even one better of the best like in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And has a better fantasy sequence that's just like that, where like oh, you leave reality for like ten minutes. I think, I think so like, good. The, the heart matters a lot in these yeah. movies. Like yeah. it's gotta have heart. Yeah. I don't know. I just when you're a kid, Jim Carrey and Robin Williams are the two funniest people on the planet. Yeah. When you're an adult, or when I'm an adult anyway, it's just like watching someone on cocaine think they're the funniest yeah. person on the planet. 
And you're just like, I would do anything yeah. like I, this party. I, I do find Robin Williams, even his older stuff from the 80s, I find him hilarious. I find Jim Carrey funny, like, but not past Cable Guy. Like, I think the last movie that he made where I like genuinely think is funny is like that. And then after that, I really kind of like I, lost. I kind of prefer touch. his dramatic work. To, like, I really, really? Think, like, same with yeah. Robin Williams. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like one hour photo when he's a creep. Well, and like for Carrie, it's like I think Truman Show is a legitimate masterpiece. Yeah. And I, Eternal Sunshine, like he's very good. And like he's done good. And actually, I really like that show on Showtime. Remember oh, where he yeah, plays yeah, yeah. the, mm-hmm. the like the Mister Rogers yeah. kind of. There's a show, affiliate. yeah, a very good dramatic thing on Showtime. Yeah, anyway, rather watch the mask. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a shit yeah. person. Somebody stop you. <laughs> I, I have a feeling though that like I might still like Ace Ventura. Oh, they're so good. Yeah, especially that second one. Well, there's the scene where he climbs out of the rhino's ass in the second one, which is a classic <laughs> physical bit. Yeah, and like. It's the so pee pee and poo poo in this movie is still funny to me. Like, it's always good. Yeah, the yeah, pee pee and like poo-poo. that stuff is eternal. Jim Carrey being funny is, is I don't know. there's a lot of pee pee poo poo limits. Well, in in um Dumb and Dumber, you have the pee pee scene with the bo- the bottles of piss. Funny stuff. Hilarious. Yeah. Um, oh, the and cops' then- reaction to that. It- sells the whole thing. That's there. happened to me too. Where like I had a thirty two ounce Gatorade bottle. <laughs> on a road trip and I was like surely this is enough and then you run oh, out no. of space like what the fuck do and I it's do? scary <laughs> yeah. I pissed in one of those like styrofoam like route 66 size things yeah. from Amazing. racetrack and it's how is there terrifying. not enough room for all the pee how big right. is my bladder <laughs> I peed a lot no no I, I've been oh, there oh I know yeah okay I thought you were like how did you pee yeah. in the route no, 66 come on Brittany <laughs> come on <laughs> weirdo um. no it was very relatable but yeah so the pee pee scene Fabulous, the poo poo scene, wonderful. Poo poo, poo poo scene. <laughs> yeah. Come on, like God, I could watch that man shit for hours. Like it's so entertaining. Like again, we were not a pee pee poo poo household <laughs> in any way. Like that was not what we were. Wa- but I think in this movie, <laughs> not those a scenes, <laughs> the those scenes are so they're just relatable. It's not just like ah oh, shit. Everyone's I don't know, had but explosive even though, Oh, I have done like, that in someone's house with a yeah. broken toilet, and I'm like, right, oh, dead. The oh, haunting, boy. like the dread that would come over you. I can't imagine. Yeah. So funny. I could watch it a hundred more times. Like I, I, it gets funnier every time I see it. I just feel like, man, maybe the, cause I had the same reaction to Tommy boy, which we're going to talk about, but they're like, very similar movies. Yeah. Yeah. And I just feel like, man, maybe that nineties era of comedies just don't age particularly well. Like, I liked Tommy boy more on revisit to be I, honest. Oh, boy, I think right, that these are two of the it. best comedies. <laughs> if we want to move into Tommy but I guess boy territory. Like, with comedies, I feel like it's cause you, we were raised on him mm-hmm. in a way, and I'm sure the generation before us felt the same way about like 80s yeah. comedies, like probably Airplane or something. I guess so. Naked I, Gun or but something. But it's like when people think, like, what are the funniest movies you've ever seen? I think of Dumb and Dumber. I think of Tommy Boy. I think of Billy Madison. You know what I, I mean? Like, I actually was going to bring that up that of this crop of like 90s comedies, Billy Madison still me, funny. is the funniest one. By a mile. Do we count Freddie Got Fingered in that group? No, but that's so. later. That's like late 90s. But it's still, still funny, though. in the same vibe. Yeah. 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 Overactive. Uh, and I can watch all those until like, I, my DVD burns out. Like, I could watch Billy Madison 
I, I, I can recite it. it by heart if we ever want to. I think so like much. five Adam Sandler movies for an episode you and me one time, and yeah. that was the only one I thought was like actually great. It's hilarious. It's so good. Well, I did call my dad and ask him what his favorite movie was, and he said Dumb and Dumber. I was like, <laughs> yes, Damn it. I thought of that, and it's already covered. And then I asked him if Tommy Boy is a good selection. He says, yes. He said... <laughs> It's also funny, but it has a better story than Dumb and Dumber, which to me, they're pretty similar movies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they're road movies. They're both road trips. Yeah. Yeah, I, but I, actually, I agree with you. Yeah, Dad. I agree too. I like the story in Tommy Boy more. And it actually gets more kind of like we were talking about with Field of Dreams. Yeah, back like, in a dad's well, Back in like Sons Dumb and, and Dumber and, and Field of Dreams were it is. combined. Yeah. yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> and I think. Maybe the reason I liked it more than Dumb and Dumber is it had a better heart, even though it has more problematic jokes. Yeah. Like, right. The word retard gets thrown around a lot a as bunch. a pejorative There's in this a lot movie. of fat jokes, too. There's a, a lot that, of like weird like, women. Yeah. Some Asian caricature Yeah, that stuff. was bad. That was bad. A lot of it is not aged well. My dad is, I've described him on this podcast before as a party boy. <laughs> I'm going to stick with that, I guess. <laughs> Uh, he was like 19 or 20 when I was born, and for most of my like young childhood, he was like in college. Um, and I've always thought of him in that way as like uh, just a guy who would do really well in college. Like he's handsome. You'd invite him to parties. He still parties like he's in college sometimes. <laughs> we party with him at Jazz Fest yeah, yeah. not that long ago. Fun guy to hang yeah, out he was, with. Yeah. He's gregarious like your dad, but in a different way. I don't know. Yeah, there's a little, there's a, a more sinister undertone of my dad's party. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, I feel like yeah, there's your an dad, edge. I feel <laughs> like there's an edge for sure. They're, they're both gregarious, but I think like your dad, as the night went on, it would get a little weird. Yeah, I think my dad would just like probably pass out. Right, right. I'm gonna go home. <laughs> yeah, your dad, your dad, James's dad, because you can't see who I'm looking at. Um, he like gets a little touchy when he. But for to you specifically, he like gives you little pinches. Little pinches when he <laughs> drinks a few too many margaritas. Yeah. My dad hits on everybody. Yeah. yeah. So he gets touched yeah. in a no, worse way. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. He was like holding Hannah's hand oh my during yeah. jazz. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I'm sure I apologize at the yeah, time. But you, should, you did. I'm sorry again. <laughs> Tommy Boy's also about dads. Uh, right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Chris Farley. This is his like biggest movie. I feel like this Black Sheep and yeah. Beverly Hills Ninja. Beverly Hills Ninja. It. He plays a daddy's boy whose dad is great and everyone loves him because he is a gregarious salesman mm-hmm. and like has all these great catchphrases and even when he's drunk he can charm like an entire room of people. And his son kind of coasts on that lovability. Like his son is loved because he is that guy's kid and does not have to try hard because he has a rich dad who owns an auto parts car company. And then his dad suddenly dies and he has to actually do something with his life. After seven years of college, he has a job for the first time and like actually has a company on his back that he has to like carry Mm -hmm. them with all these like sales of like auto parts on this road trip across the country um, instead of being paired with another dumb person, like in Dumb and Dumber, he's paired with a smart ass, unlikable straight man, straight man character played mm. by David Spade, <laughs> who I actually found funny in this. Like he had some Uh-oh. good jokes. James and I got into a disagreement about David Spade because I, I was like, you know, I like David Spade, and and James was like, 
how could you like David Spade? And then I ruminated on this for a long time. And I actually came to a conclusion that is about Tommy Boy in general and like the guys that I knew in middle school that like loved this movie. Well, I'm curious about that. Yeah, this is interesting. (laughs) So, okay. So I was thinking about, James was like, David Spade is this like straight man, cynical asshole. And that's been his shtick for a long time. And I just like... I just like David Spade's face. I think he's cute. <laughs> and then I also like get him mixed up with Andy Dick. And then I think which of those is the <laughs> one of them is an asshole and the other one is fine. And then when I remember like he's better in comparison to For anyway. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so I was thinking like there are moments in Tommy Boy where where David Spade is like genuinely sweet or like kind of drawn to Chris Farley or he like lets the, his guard down a little bit. And the, that reminded me of like all of the guys that I knew in middle school who liked this movie were like they were so mean to me and like my friends but we were still friends with them and then occasionally they were they were nice like they used to just call me and my friends like whores for no in reason in middle school oh, yeah in middle school Good God. and then I told my the mom nagging. yeah she was like horrified that this was you know but it's like that was the vibe of the guys that like were also into Tommy Boy, like they were mean uh, to women. They used slurs of all kinds. They were like just shitty to everyone. And I think m- that's my association with Tommy Boy. I get that because like I have a similar thing with the American Pie movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. like whenever you have any kind of tr- like trauma with a group of people that yeah. remind you of like a film like that, right. like it's kind of it's icky. Yeah, and I I don't know. It's like I think Tommy Boy is kind of funny, mm-hmm. um, but I always assumed that it would be like the funniest thing ever because all of these guys loved it. Yeah, I just trusted their like opinions, and like I trusted their opinions about the things they said about me and my friends, and and I don't know. Ugh. This is like not a very cohesive thought, but it's like all, all of the stuff up. is like yeah. tied together <laughs> yeah, in this like weird subculture. <laughs> I actually like relate to that on the level that like not so much the slurs and like misogynistic <laughs> insults, but like as a kid, I thought being mean and being clever was a personality. Yeah. Oh. And like being smarter than everyone else and like putting people down with like a well-timed quip was like funny. Yeah. yeah. And I'm deeply ashamed of how I acted in like <laughs> high school and middle school because I was a I was a fucking asshole. Yeah, Everybody I mean, even, maybe even when you met me, I was like still like a lot meaner than I am now. I would think you were. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I but I mean, I was too. I feel like as guys, you go through that phase. And you grow out of it, hopefully. Now, now y'all are in the fields of dream phase. Yeah, <laughs> now I'm fully in the field of dream phase. <laughs> you yeah. left the Tommy but Boy right. I actually like David Spade in this movie for yeah. similar reasons where, like, he is so mean and, like, just constantly insults Chris Farley's weight in this and, like, does the most, like, Porky-style, like, frat boy humor in this movie. And then it becomes gradually, like, very obvious that it's a defense mechanism and, like, he actually is, like, a big sweetheart. yeah. Who just happens to have a chip on his shoulder because this guy who does not try is loved by everyone. Yeah. And no yeah. one likes him at all. Uh, yeah. I vibed with him too because, like, if you ever work, especially if you've ever worked for like a small business where, you know, it's a mom and pop owned place and then their kids come in and they don't do 
anything they oh don't fucking God. work and they're yeah. sacks of shit and you're busting your ass and then they're like getting promoted and they're getting raises for doing nothing like that's like how i felt like he probably felt like he like walks onto the like the factory floor and like immediately fucks up and launches this like <laughs> yeah. dangerous hunk of metal out the window and almost kills somebody and uh all anyone says is like nice distance <laughs> right <laughs> like, uh, just like patting him on the back because of who his dad is and he's walking you know through this office space after like going to college for seven years is like way to go on that d minus or whatever <laughs> d plus d plus they only give a couple out every year <laughs> and the thing is that chris farley is lovable right yes. and he hates himself in this movie okay that that is a perfect segue into my main issue watching this because i like i recently watched an interview with uh bob odenkirk who was oh. on the the howard stern show and he asked him about chris farley and I guess he saw Chris like a night or two before he overdosed and passed away. And he said he was like behind the club in a limo with some friends, some people he knew were into shady stuff. And he was so messed up. He asked for Bob to like come back and like hang out with him. And he said he rolled down the window of the um, limousine and he could tell he was like gone. And he said he knew at that moment, like, this guy is not going to be alive much longer. Yeah. And he was talking about how like he was such a like people pleaser and wanted to like make everyone laugh, but he also struggled a lot with his, you know, his weight and how, mm -hmm. and he, he said like, and backstage at SNL, he would just say like fat guy fall down. Like, that's why you hired me. I'm just a fat guy for people to laugh. And he like struggled with that his entire career. And he talked about that famous SNL skit with Patrick Swayze mm -hmm. and how like Bob Odenkirk hated that because the joke wasn't laughing with him. It was like laughing at him. Like, yeah. look at the fat guy dance. So watching Tommy Boy, there's so many jokes that felt mean in that way. Like, let's laugh at the fat guy falling down. And... Mm -hmm knowing how much he like struggled with that and how much he wanted to try to get past it. But he also like wanted to entertain people. And that was like an easy joke to make people laugh. like, yeah. so watching it now, like after hearing that, I was like, man, this is like, made me sad. Yeah. The whole movie made me sad. And like, I struggled knowing how he ended up, like what his fate ultimately was. I just struggled. It, it just made me sad. It sells him like for him to have this like physicality as like a you know he's a physical comedian a lot of the times he just like falls on stuff and it breaks like that's like a lot of the jokes yeah, yeah. um the the scene where he sits on the bench and the bench breaks at the end that is like lowest point like that that joke is just or like the the boat all like the stuff like that like i found to be like not funny but like i actually thought the boat was kind of funny that he couldn't catch wind Whenever he's sitting down and it's lifted. Oh, I was thinking of a different thing. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I like the recurring gag where like every time he goes on his sailboat, there's just no wind. He just sits oh. on the lake. Yeah. Like that's funny. That's, that's, fu right. that's funny. You gotta get right. more. Right. Yeah. My thing is like his facial expressions and like the way he talks kind of like this innocent like baby talk every now and then. I found mm -hmm. that to be super funny. Yeah. It's a shame that like that wasn't like the highlight. Well, and yeah. the, the tragedy of it too is like, I think he had that special quality where he could have become our generations, like a John Candy where he did yeah. like more dramatic roles 
and got away from the like fat guy fall down stuff. And this, that's why this feels so sad. Like this is his iconic movie that will always be in the canon. And it's like kind of the thing that he hated to do. But I think like that stuff is easy to sell and market. Like, oh, we'll do a bunch of fat gags and David Spade will make fun of me for being fat. Like that's easy to sell to the studio, but then it gives them all this space to like, Go off on these weird fucking tangents where he just rambles and riffs. Oh, when he's I, doing the thing with the like selling the insurance yeah, or whatever. This is your car with the other guy's brake pads, and he's taking his like <laughs> exactly. like intricately like constructed car, like mini cars. Yeah, that, that yeah. was the biggest laugh for me because, like you said, it's letting him loose to just be funny. And then people's just abject horror at yeah. him and just been like, "My God, you're fucking sick!" <laughs> like. There's a lot of stuff in this movie that feels very post Porky's frat guy humor in a way that's definitely gross. And I can't separate my enjoyment of it from the nostalgia of watching it with my dad a lot as a kid and just watching SNL as a kid all the time. Like I grew up on that show. I still watch it as it comes Mm -hmm. out. But I do think there's like a heart to it and their friendship, even though it's begrudging, like I'm sure in their private life, David Spade did make a bunch of fat jokes at his expense, like kind of prodding at him because he does seem like a sarcastic asshole in yeah. real life, too. But they they were very But close. they actually loved each other. Yeah. I feel like that comes through in their dynamic. I, I think so. One of my favorite scenes is when they're in the car and they can't agree on music and then they pl- start playing the Carpenters and like, oh, <laughs> and they start crying. yeah, this is lame. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, you can change it. Oh, no, you can. Yeah. And then they're singing it together. Like, that was a really funny, that, I love moment. that, too. Like, yeah. the part when they're like in the car and they have like the montage of them singing yeah. all those different songs <laughs> is so fun. Yeah, I feel like Dumb and Dumber actually is more timeless in that way. Like, it didn't have as many like problematic yeah. jokes and didn't make me feel as like icky as some of the stuff and tommy boy but then tommy boy like you were saying has more, had more heart. heart and so <laughs> yeah. they kind of like fall on like the same level for me i just think chris farley's funnier than jim carrey is what yeah. it comes down I, to for me i agree with that yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ooh, i would have loved to see chris farley and jeff daniels together i just feel like That'd they be would great. be so sweet yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just sad to think about what if yeah. with him. I mean, same with like a Jim Belushi or something. It's just like, man, that guy was like very funny, a talent, and it's it's gone. Yeah. But I'm glad that we talked about yes. this movie. Because like, and I, I do think it's interesting hearing about everyone's dad yeah. and sort of how the movies align kind of with their personalities a little bit. Yeah. What um I was kind of wanted to mention that i'm like oh i guess we didn't like tap into this dad territory but steven seagal movies always struck me as like dad movies too mm-hmm. um oh, so i was like yeah, i'm like, like is, action. Is someone gonna make us watch under that's, you that's know like what my, yeah my stepdad felix that's like his wheelhouse is yeah. like mm-hmm. those act big budget action yeah my dad also mentioned Mission Impossible as there like you one go. of his and yeah. my dad also mentioned and i feel like this is another subset is like he mentioned Hunt for Red October. Oh, like yeah, those, absolutely. Like those, and like I think about like Steven Spielberg, like Bridge of Spies oh. or something. Like yeah, the political, <laughs> really thrillers. political right. espionage, yeah. the Soviets, the Cold War. If, like yeah, other than that, we pretty much covered the dad movie realm. Yeah, with all of our choices. Drama. Yeah, I feel like. Seven Samurai was pulling westerns and war. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. War epics, and then the like. 
frat boy slapstick and then the, the, yeah. the pee pee poo poo pee pee poo poo stuff still funny like i still hilarious it, yeah. as like sour as i felt during a lot of like jim carrey bits as soon as they were like peeing and pooing i was like all right i'm laughing i'm, here it is. <laughs> I'm back in <laughs> that stuff is classic and happy father's happy day father's happy father's day, day. The swamp dads out there swamp dads I think there's some like fecal matter in our next episode as well. Uh, we're talking about Mad oh. God, which is premiering on Shudder this week. Amazing. Uh, it is a stop motion horror film that was made over the course of like 30 years. Um, it's silent and there's basically no plot, um, but it's just a bunch of monsters like eating each other and shitting each other Love out. It. Like terrifying looking Slapping monsters. their titties around and, and exposing you, you their saw teeth. saw it and... Overlook, right? Yes, it was fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Might be my favorite movie I've seen all year. Ooh. To be honest. It's, it's coming out on Shudder this week. Yeah. I'm and excited for it. The Broad said they might do a few theatrical showings if you want to see it. Nice. nice. Okay. I definitely recommend seeing it on the big screen Other, like just for the fact that you will not look at your phone because it's like... Mm. A silent film with like no plot yeah. for like eighty minutes. It's, a little it's tough. hard not to get distracted. Yeah, if you have lock your phone in the other room if you watch it at home. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Bill Arsenault should be joining me on that episode oh, to oh. discuss other movies that played at Overlook. Cool. Uh, so we're gonna discuss Mad God and then you know kind of expand from there. Nice. Cool. Hopefully, I won't ramble about nine movies. <laughs> I'm like being more selective and not just talk about everything. We already covered Flux Gourmet, so. Oh, yeah. We sure did. Uh, talk to you all then. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.